A few years ago, one of the kids in my online coaching program said to me, Coach Rebecca, I wish we could just go to a gym and have you as our coach. We would all be so happy and so confident. And that warmed my heart and I was like, oh my gosh, that would be the best. And that comment stuck with me for years. So now I'm going to do something about it. I am inviting gymnasts from all over the country to join me for the first ever Confident Gymnast Camp this August 3rd and 4th. This camp is all about breaking through mental blocks. So if you're struggling with a skill and you want me and my team to help you break through in real time, then check out confidentgymnast.com for details. Hi guys, on today's podcast, I am interviewing Dr. Sarah Pospos. She is a sports psychiatrist and we are going to dive into a little bit of everything. And this is such a such a great episode because she gives all of these little actionable tips that you can apply in your life right this second. We're going to talk about burnout, anxiety, stress management, tips to fall asleep better. I mean, so much good stuff. Here we go. Welcome to the Perform Happy Podcast, where athletes and their support squad come to learn the secret weapon for sports success. I'm your host, Rebecca Smith. First, I was a scaredy cat gymnast, then a coach. Now I'm a sports psychology expert and a parent. Athletes, whether you're feeling stuck or you're having the best season of your life, I'm here to help you reach peak performance and maximum enjoyment. Hey, everybody. Welcome to a special episode of the Perform Happy Podcast. My guest today is Dr. Sarah Pospos. She is a sports psychiatrist. She's a former student athlete. She's a researcher on burnout and depression and a mom of two kids under two. So she, she's she got a lot to offer us today. Welcome, Dr. Pospos. I'm so glad to have you here today. Thank you. Thank you so much, Rebecca, for having me here today. Such an honor to be here. I really appreciate your time. Yes. Yeah, so can you just give us a little background on how you got to this this career of sports psychiatry? What led you that down that road? For sure. So first of all, I choose to become a psychiatrist because I think it's such a privilege to be able to help others during the lowest of their lows, just to get to know them in you know that next level. Because as psychiatrists, we do have the luxury to getting to know our patients within a longer appointment time versus the other traditional docs. In terms of sports psychiatrist journey, I do have to admit that I have a personal stake in this. Like you mentioned, I was a, before I was a psychiatrist, I was a former athlete. I used to play basketball and volleyball before. I do see firsthand some of the unique challenges that athletes face. So I thought to myself, what better way to pay it forward than to focus on this area, specifically in mental health, because athletes may have unique challenges that's not common to the other groups. So let's say, you know, things like choking, burning out from overtraining, things of the likes. And also some athletes may have concerns when it comes to medications when indicated, because as you can imagine, some medications may have some side effects that could impair athletic performance, like weight gain um, in the sports like gymnastics or rowing, things like that, as well as be classified unknowingly as performance enhancer, because for instance, some medications may help fine motor movement, 
and reduced tremor and therefore is banned or inhibited in sports such as archery. That's a long way to say that um, that's what motivates me to focus and specialize specifically in sports psychiatry. Yeah. Well, and that makes so much sense that you're, it's, well, we talk about this in gymnastics. Like you can't just go to any doctor about your injury because the doctor is going to say, well, stop doing the sport. <laughs> you, you're going to hurt yourself. And then we're like, well, no, 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 no. That's not the answer we're looking for. We want to heal and get back to the sport. And so to, to have somebody who specializes in sport, you can understand the nuance of, well, actually this is banned if you wanted to compete in this arena or this will create this problem. Like, yes, you'll reduce this issue, but then you'll have this. So that's really great that you have made it a specific topic of helping the athletes because they are, they are special people need special care. So the people who I help most are people with anxiety. So I, I'd love to start there and, and just talk about, you know, most people get nervous when there's something at stake. So it doesn't necessarily mean that you need to go to the psychiatrist, but when when would parents go like, hmm, it might be time to actually bring my child to get evaluated, you know, for more clinical anxiety? What can they look for? Very, very good question. First of all, anxiety comes in different forms, different flavors, right? For instance, there's choking or what we commonly also call performance anxiety in sports or competition anxiety. There's also a more generalized form of anxiety called generalized anxiety disorder, which just means that the worry itself is considered quote unquote out of control, happening all the time about a lot of different things like school, for instance, family, health, friends, and things of the likes. There's also specific type of phobia. So either you, you know, you might get scared of blood draws or you might get scared of performing, of having a presentation in public, speaking in public, things along those lines. But in terms of when feeling worry or feeling anxious is considered problematic. I would say if there's two red flags, one, if the symptoms cause a severe intense distress in your lives. So for parents, if you notice that the anxiety really, really causing distress in your children's life, that's the first red flag. Or the second one is if the symptoms in any way interfere with the day-to-day. So that could look like impairing their grades, their relationships uh, with friends, with families, their work, if they you know, also do work outside of studying. And of course, for athletes, when it starts impairing their athletic performance. So it's not their regular jitter, so to speak, that everyone probably have before the big day, the big game, but also when it starts to consistently day in and day out impairing their training or their performance when they're performing in the big flights. In terms of common symptoms, There are a lot of anxiety symptoms. It could look a lot different from person to person, but typically we see feeling on edge, feeling heat up, irritable, or feeling worry that is out of proportion of the triggers that's happening perhaps almost all the time, almost 24-7, that's out of control. It could start affecting their muscles, so feeling muscle tensions in their shoulder, in their necks and whatnot. It may impair their focus at school during training, during sports training, having problem concentrating, having problem sleeping, interfering with appetite and their eating, and the list goes on. But those would be what I typically see in anxiety. Mm -hmm. 
And so I know there's probably a lot of high strung moms like me out there who are like, oh no, do I have clinical anxiety? Oh no, do we all have clinical anxiety? We all we all don't want to have <laughs> breakfast on competition day and we all can't sleep well. If it's sort of a lower level, so it's subclinical, um, uh-huh. what are some because I know that you, you know, you you're interested in the whole athlete and the lifestyle of the athlete. What are some changes that maybe these moms can make or these athletes can make that can just take it down a notch a little bit? Do you have any suggestions that are sort of non-medical? Yes. I think two areas that I'd like to touch upon. So first of all, is mindset. So anxiety back in the days, in the hunting days, is there to alert us about our survival. So let's say, you know, there's a bear around the corner. We need to avoid that bear, right? So anxiety basically just alerting our body that, hey, we need to avoid this in order to survive. But these days, you know, of course there's no bear, but there's a lot of things that our brain might interpret as quote unquote threat to our survival and therefore creates anxiety as an effect. In terms of mindset, I think it's very important to just pause uh, whenever things get overwhelming, you know, whenever you feel your heart rate uh, a little bit more, it's harder to perhaps breathe a little bit or you have to go to the bathroom a lot, just pause for a second and ground yourself. The second part of that is my favorite practical ways to tackle anxiety and stress in general as well. The first one is deep breathing, using your diaphragm. Essentially, it's breathing intentionally with your belly or your diaphragm. I like to count to six while inhaling, count to six while pausing, and then count to six while exhaling and repeat it a couple of times. Because anxiety is associated with our fight or flight system or our sympathetic system, it also have different effects in our body, like I mentioned, such as increased heart rate, increased respiration, muscle tension, and whatnot. So what deep breathing does is switch to the other system called parasympathetic system, which has the opposite effects and it helps with that. My second techniques that I like to do is what we in psychiatry call progressive muscle relaxation or PMR. Essentially, we're going to go from muscle group to muscle group from the top of our head, gradually all the way down to the bottom of our feet. So let's say we start with the muscles on top of our head. We intentionally tense it for 10 seconds. And then we intentionally relax it for 20 seconds before going down to our forehead, our cheek, our jaw, shoulder, and so forth. Again, because anxiety is associated with muscle tension, what we're trying to do by relaxing our muscle is help lower that anxiety and anticipation anxiety, as well as improving our mood, our energy level, our concentration, and eventually our sleep as well. Yeah. So sleep. I'd love to touch on sleep. I noticed there's a statistic on your website that absolutely floored me. You mentioned 49% of Olympic athletes are classified as poor sleepers. I mean, that's kind of mind blowing. So, and I know a lot of very talented athletes who struggle with getting to sleep. So how do you help somebody who's in that camp, which is so many great athletes? Yeah, definitely. And You know, sleep could be very tricky, right? I think, especially for athletes, but not just athletes, just in our regular life, as well as moms, you know, as students having upcoming exams, perhaps when we're working with upcoming deadlines, never ending projects, it's very, very hard at times to clock in that recommended eight hours of sleep. So some tips that I have to just optimize that sleep quality a little bit, first and foremost, 
the bed association. What I mean by that is try to limit using the bed just for sleep and sex, essentially. If you struggle to fall asleep, if it's already more than 30 minutes, just get out of the bed. Because uh, we want the brain to associate that only with sleep, with the peaceful, restful sensation, and not with, let's say, the anxiety of, hey, I'm trying to go to sleep, but I can't. The second tip that I have is some common things to avoid. So if possible, and it's very hard, at least for me, avoid caffeine 12 hours before bed, so around noontime. And that not just include coffee, but also tea, soda, energy drinks chocolate, things of the like. And then three hours before bed, try to avoid dinner, especially a big dinner, alcohol, physical exercise, as well as quote-unquote brain exercise, which just means that a lot of problem-solving skills are thinking too hard uh, with your brain. If you find uh, yourself having a lot of things that you're worried about for that particular night that's making it harder to sleep, to fall asleep, Perhaps take a piece of paper, write it all down, and then next to it, write one simple step that you can do tomorrow to address it. And then you could either fold it up, store it for tomorrow, or just tear it apart and not think about it again until tomorrow. And then, of course, about one hour before bed, try to avoid electronics because the blue screen can interfere with melatonin or sleep hormone. And also try to get into that relaxed state, both physically and mentally for which we can use the two deep breathing and muscle relaxation techniques that we talked about earlier. Okay. So I know um, I learned this in grad school and I'm like, oh boy, am I (laughs) checking so many boxes of like the screens before bed. I know there are a lot of athletes who are cramming their dinner in when they get home at 10 PM and then trying to get to sleep. So if you can't be perfect at it, what would you say is like the most important thing that you can possibly do to help your sleep? There's like one thing that that they can do and be like, we're not perfect, but we're going to, we're getting better. Yeah. Yeah. Very good point. Because, you know, especially for sleep and other lifestyle techniques, as well as life in general, I think um, it's important to remember perhaps that some is always better than none, right? Because it could be very hard if you want to check all the boxes all of the time, it could be discouraging even. So for sleep, I would say the one takeaway perhaps that could be implemented, if you can just take one, is the relaxation techniques. So either deep breathing or the muscle relaxation, because not only is it going to help you to sleep in terms of just being relaxed, but also it's going to help with a number of reactions in your body. So for example, that parasympathetic response that we were talking about earlier to also tackle the unsleepiness and that way it just targets more areas and is more fruitful in terms of high yieldness. Hey guys, quick announcement break. Right now we at Complete Performance Coaching are looking for five athletes who are ready to break through their mental blocks for good. If that sounds like you or your child, then sign up for a free consultation call with one of my amazing coaches as soon as possible to see if you're a good fit for our Perform Happy Elite training program. This program includes one-on-one coaching with the world's top mental performance coaches, plus tons of support for athletes and their parents in between sessions. You can sign up today at completeperformancecoaching.com consult. Talk to you soon. Yep. Two birds with one stone is always good. 
Exactly. Right. Okay. Now the, the one now I'm also remembering from my sleep course that you get out of bed. So if you're, if you're sitting there, not sleeping, you don't lay there thinking about not sleeping. And the teacher, I remember him saying, you get up and you sit on the edge of your bed and you stare at a blank wall and you do something really, really boring, but you're not in the bed. So what do you have any other tips of like, if you, if you want to have only sleep happening in bed and not laying there thinking, what are some other little resets that you can do when you're in that kind of struggle to get to sleep? Perhaps one thing that could be helpful is to have in your room, like a cozy corner, maybe like a little mean chair or something like that, where you can get out, out of bed and be there for a minute to relax. Perhaps, you know, reading could help with a lot of people, not electronic reading, of course, with Kindle because of the blue light. But if you can, manual reading with actual books, perhaps doing some meditation could help as well. Journaling is also relaxing as well as helping both physically and mentally as well. So you could do those sort of relaxing habits in another place other than bed before going back to bed and try to sleep again. Awesome. Everybody go make yourself a cozy corner. I just, I'm like, <laughs> ooh, I know exactly the corner I'll make it in. Okay. <laughs> I love that you you would talk about the whole athlete because it's, I mean, you can't have one thing without the other. It's why when I start working with somebody about a fear of going backwards, I ask them about how much sleep do you get? You can talk to me about your relationships with people in your life, your coaches. Like it, there's so many things that go into it. But then there's this balance question of, you know, we have all these hours of training, we got nutrition, we've got sleep, we've got stress, we've got school. And I know that you definitely help people try to find that lifestyle balance. The word balance to a sport parent is like non-existent and the balance to an athlete, like, would just add one more thing into your day? They, you know, their right eye starts to twitch. Um, but what, what are some, again, like some quick wins that they can get to just get a little bit more balance in their life that will actually improve their performance? Yes. I'm so glad you brought that up because balance perhaps means different things to different people as well as different stage of life. So perhaps one thing that could be helpful is to have the athlete, you know, if you're a parent of a, to an athlete, perhaps encourage them to do this. If you're an athlete listening, perhaps try it out. Just take a moment, you know, take a piece of paper and a pen and try to really think of your why. Why are you doing all this? And not everyone else's why, but your own why. So essentially exploring your purpose. Why is that helpful? Because in order to increase or optimize our performance, we could do it two ways. One is by increasing the training, of course, or two by increasing the motivation because motivation it is what allows us to endure the harder days of the training and by really having your why it could really help significantly with that motivation aspect although i know you know to all the parents of an athlete and the athletes they are very very motivated on baseline already but i find that this hacks could help during those harder days and what can you do with uh, with this purpose once you found it. You can do a lot of different things. So for instance, one, you can write it down on a post-it and have it on a places that you frequent, like bathroom mirror, you know, perhaps next to your bed, inside your computer, things like that. Because the visual cues would just prompt your mind to get back to that space to dial in again once things gets hard. 
The second thing, perhaps you can create a mantra. So self-talk mantra, whenever negative talks, doubts, feeling of overwhelm comes in, you can just recite that to yourself repeatedly and get back again to that space, to that mental space. And three, you can perhaps journal with it. And I know you're everyone's very busy. So what I mean by journaling is essentially just two steps. One, try to rate from one to 10. How's your day, that particular day, in terms of how aligned is it with your purpose? And then let's say it's a seven, then just write one sentence of why is it a seven and do it uh, day in and day out. And that way you can get more aligned with your purpose and everything, all the hard work, all the balancing could feel more meaningful, so to speak, and is more bearable that way. Oh, wow. I love that. I have my vision boards above me at my desk because that keeps me remembering kind of what I'm working toward. But I love that idea of how aligned are you with your purpose? So you've got to know what you're working for and then ask yourself if you are actually in line with it, which Mm -hmm. I think can take a lot of insanity out of the training routine. Because you know insanity, they say, is doing the same thing, expecting different results. But if you're not in line with your purpose and you're wondering why you're not satisfied, I mean, that would be a really great little light bulb to look at your purpose and go, wait a second, I'm not doing what I say I want to be doing with most of my hours. Right. So right. That's a great point. And then it, it reminds me also of burnout. I notice happens in athletes when they don't feel like they have a choice, like they yeah. have to do it. They're doing it for someone else or doing it because it's what they've always done. They're doing it, you know, for any number of other reasons other than doing it for me. Mm-hmm. And they don't feel like they choose to walk in every day. They feel like they have to walk in every day. So I know you've done research on burnout. Are there other things that can lead to burnout or other mindsets or any other kind of red flags that parents can look at? Like, oh gosh, is my kid burned out? Yeah, I think you really hit it in the head. When it comes to burnout in athletes, definitely that's the main factor, right? That could lead to burnout, not doing it for themselves in that way. And on top of that, just in general, burnout typically is associated with work. So for an athlete with the training and whatnot, the work that needs to be put in as an athlete, what usually leads to burnout is when the work seems endless and meaningless, when there's overload in terms of the amount of the work itself, and when there's a perceived low work-life balance as well. In terms of symptoms, for all the parents listening to watch out for. Burnout has three big areas of symptoms. One is emotional exhaustion. So perhaps it could look like feeling super drained, super emotionally tired all the time. Two is a low sense of personal achievement. So even though you know an athlete might be winning this competition, um, winning that competition is very accomplished, but they subjectively, innerly might feel otherwise. They might feel like, they're just not good enough. They're not meant for this. They're not cut out for this. It could be a symptom of burnout. And the third is just feeling detached. So it doesn't have that emotional connections with the sports, with the work that they put in day in and day out. They just go in there and do it out of you know automatic habit, but it's very, very detached to the whole experience themselves. Mm, okay. And if someone identifies, like oh, they're raising their hand, they're like, yep, that's where I'm at, or that's what's happening for my kid. What are some of the solutions? Yeah, great point. Solution-wise, if it's 
you know, burnout is a spectrum, right? And it could very easily turn into things like depression, which is also very common to everyone, especially to high achievers, including athletes. So solution-wise, if it's still burnout, typically taking them out of the work, uh, so taking time off work, or in this case, taking a little bit of time off training and the sports for a little bit of a rest period might help. And however, if it has already turned into depression, clinical depression, then it's time to seek professional mental health. And also I'd like to add in terms of burnout, depression, and all the other common mental health challenges, lifestyle, sustainable lifestyle techniques might help. And again, it's not all or nothing. Some is always better than none. So put in the work day in and day out just to optimize your sleep a little bit for exercise and nutrition, which is already perhaps addressed, well addressed in athletes, things like managing your stress effectively, using deep breathing, using mindfulness, meditation, muscle relaxation, all those little pieces, if you know someone were to do it consistently, could really help prevent burnout as well. Great. And, I, and of course, like being connected to what drives you in your sport, I think can really keep you in, in that harmonious passion versus getting into burnout. And But then again, sometimes people need a little medical attention. And I know there's a big stigma in, I mean, with any mental health support within sport, I think it's changed a lot in the last maybe five, 10 years that athletes have mental coaches, athletes have mental support. But I know that there can be a big stigma around an athlete needing mental health support. Is there anything that you can say to that? Yeah, absolutely. So like you said, stigma in mental health is very, very real. In general, especially also in athletes, right? Because it might be associated with being weak and not having this winning all the time mentality and whatnot. They might fear about their reputation in terms of the team or the position in the team if some issues with mental health came out or things like that. But I think, like you said, these days, it's getting less and less. A lot of pro athletes speak out. So during the Olympics, Biles or Serena, you know, it's very open with her experience as a mom and her ups and downs as well. Kevin Love in the NBA, Montgomery in, the, in football and whatnot. So I think having that help, having all these talks, all this understanding that it is very common and it could happen to a lot of us and it could happen, of course, to the very best of us could help with that stigma as well. Also, I'd like to underline that mental health is as important as physical health. And you, for all the listeners out there, you don't have to suffer alone. It could be a very lonely place to be because you feel like no one would understand. You know, uh, you could talk that nobody could know. There might feel like there's no way out when you're in the middle of all this. But help is out there. Help is just a click, a phone call, an email away, and you don't have to suffer alone. Please seek help. Yes. Thank goodness for all of the telehealth that is available these days. And is that how you primarily meet your patients these days? Yes. So my practice is based in California. And like you said, it's 100% telehealth, which means that you don't have to be here in person, which means no need to waste time commuting, waiting for the doctor at the doctor's office. You just have to allocate the time for the appointment. And 
you don't have to be in a specific city in California, just all over California to be seen by telehealth. Yeah, that's so great. That's what that's how we operate too, because it's such a specialized thing that we do that it's great to be able to work with people from all over. I mean, for us, it's all over the world, which is so exciting. And the, and I just love that the access to mental health in these very specific needs is so it's so accessible these days that not only is it becoming okay to you know seek help for depression to seek help for anxiety to you know to get clinically evaluated just as you know just for more information i'm always like ankle hurts go to the doctor you know let's get a little more info and if the doctor says you're good to go awesome now we know that if the doctor says oh we need a cast we need an x-ray we then we know you know right. so i think if there's any question it's great to know that there are resources where you can just get a little more information to find out how can i help optimize my child's mental health which then of course is going to optimize their sport performance their social lives you know their physical health so i mean i think we can't say enough about the importance of just like taking care of our ourselves mind and body for sure 100% yes. so okay as a mom what are some tips for moms out there that can just really like prioritize the health of their kids' minds, the mental health of their kids, and also their sport performance. And just to give a little context, like in gymnastics specifically, it feels like you got to pick one, (laughs) you know, like you can be really great, but you might, um, your back is going to hurt for the rest of your life. And you're probably going to have PTSD. Like, sorry about that. Like, good luck. But so the parents, I think there's this worry for myself. I'm like, I can't let my kid be a gymnast. She'll be all messed up in all the ways. So what can I do? when my kids are little to sort of like prioritize this and make sure that we can be honoring their love for sport, but also strengthening their mind and keeping them healthy? Yeah, that's such a good question. I think in terms of there's a lot of layers to it, right? Like you said, it's a thin balance and it's very, very hard to kind of navigate that. Perhaps some things that could be helpful is modeling and coaching the kid on the growth mindset. First of all, the listeners are probably familiar with it. It's a work from Carol Dweck. I think uh, she's from Stanford. So what we can do is instead of focusing on the outcomes of something, we focus on the process. So what it may look like in terms of our interaction with the kids is instead of praising them if they win in a meet or if they you know, get in straight A's at school, we praise the process. So we could say things like, hey, I see that you're really working hard on this. Keep up the good work. Or I see that you try to problem solve this this situation. Keep it up. Things along those lines. And then the second thing, in terms of being a sports mom, there's a couple of studies out there that says that at an early age, general sampling is better than early specializations. So perhaps having the you know, of offering that opportunities for the kids when they're younger to sample a lot of different sports instead of going straight to a specific sports could help minimize burnout indirectly and directly by letting them have that free exploration and choose specific sports that they like without feeling guilty if they don't like a specific type of sport and have to withdraw from that might help as well. And the third tips that I have is just that mindset piece of some is always better than none and mod- continue to model that to the kids as well within their sports and their athletic performance. 
Beautiful. Oh my gosh. You, we are so, we're so in line, like same page growth mindset all the way, praising progress and effort, not the outcomes. I mean, yes, absolutely. I'm a, I'm a hundred percent in agreement with everything you just said. So if people want to find out more from you or to get in touch with you, what's the best way to find you? You can always find me on Instagram at the handle lifestyle telepsychiatry. If you're in California and you need that extra help, feel free to make an appointment as well at my website, lifestyletelepsychiatry.com. And if you're not in California, I still do offer free additional resources at my website, lifestyletelepsychiatry.com slash subscribe. Great. Dr. Sarah Poslos, thank you so much for your time today. It's been so valuable and it's been so nice to hang out with you. Thank you so much, Rebecca. And I just wanted to mention as well to all the parents and athletes and athletes out there, um, Rebecca's doing great, great work. So please check out her website as well. It's been really helpful. And um, you know, you're gonna get great, great uh, mindset shift as well. Oh, thank you so much. Well, I look forward to seeing you again soon. Thank you so much. You too. Thank you so much for joining me for this week's episode of the Perform Happy Podcast. If you're ready to unlock your maximum sport potential, head over to performhappy.com and join us. You'll be training alongside world champion athletes and Olympic hopefuls. And I will personally take you through my research-based system for overcoming fear and mental blocks, building confidence, and finding your flow. I'm coach Rebecca Smith, and I'll see you next time.